Welcome to the SOB Podcast. Everything fun about family dysfunction with your hosts, Shannon Livingston and Joe Lobosco. This podcast covers it all from mobsters to motherhood and strip clubs to Sunday school with candid conversations on everything from surviving to thriving. Welcome to another episode of the Son of a Bitch podcast, or SOB, as we have to put it on platforms so that they actually post it on there for us. I am one of your hosts, Shannon Livingston, and I am the bitch. Are you going to be a nice boy and introduce yourself today, Joseph? And I'm the son, and my name's Joe. That was so much nicer. You must be medicated. Mm. You are a little medicated, aren't you? It's just CBD, but yeah. Oh, whatever. Whatever it takes. So we have done episodes on all sorts of different stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You and I don't always agree on the purpose of this show. Sure. I think we're telling an overall story through smaller stories. And you think we're just sitting in a studio having fun. So we're trying to kind of push Balance all that, that together. Out. Yeah. So the last episode we did kind of talked about the, the phases of our lives and the different houses that we lived in. And this episode, of course, is going to get a lot more serious because I know you hate that. Mm -hmm. But it's important for me to tell some of these bigger, more influencing parts of my life so that people then understand how I got to the more surreal points of my life. I understand the purpose. I just this one in particular, I don't know how much I can really contribute, but I'll do what I can. Well, I think it's just like the the rape episode. You didn't have a lot to contribute there. This is going to be a little uncomfortable for you, but not as uncomfortable as that. But for me, it really is just having you here. It's something that you did live through mm-hmm. and not just living through it. It has affected the way that I have parented and just the person that I am, which then affects your life. So kind of all all goes together there. Wonderful so, reasons to go to therapy. Well, this is our therapy. This is way cheaper and a yeah, lot more fun. That's true. Uh, plus, I just like to control my mm. own narrative. And I don't have some Catholic lady not calling me back. Yeah, you did scare off that therapist. Mm-hmm. You never should have brought up the mob. She didn't know how to take that. Uh, anyway, so we're trying to get up to the point of telling the stories about strip clubs mm-hmm. and um, how I worked in strip clubs, ran strip clubs, and then had a private one-on-one service um, outside of the clubs. So we called it a bachelor party service with some of the girls we're doing. I'm sure you could call it more, but uh, I'm trying to get to the point of how does a girl who is fairly intelligent, you know, I I have a a high IQ at least, what happens to then make you comfortable in the sex industry? Why do you make that decision? And most people assume that you're molested, right? You're molested by an uncle or your father. There's some statistical evidence to back that up, but not for everyone. There is. And, um, and that does, of course, happen. But this is my story, and that's yeah. not what happened to me. Right. My my father didn't molest me, and I don't even have an uncle. So there's that, too. He didn't want his children to even be around in the same room, let alone, yeah. you know, that would have been far too much contact. Yeah, that would have required a lot of interaction from my father. <clears throat> You're right. Uh, but that was not, um, so that, that wasn't what happened to me, but still there were things that did happen. And we talked about that, uh, 
the episode, I think it was episode nine, mm -hmm. uh, the rape episode where I lost my virginity at 15 years old by being raped by a, a local boy um, in the back of a car after a party. And it really affected who I thought I was and what power I thought I had over my sexuality. And so I think I dealt with the powerlessness because it wasn't just that act. It was all of the rumors and shame and everything that came after it in school in in this small town because people had driven by and witnessed because they had been alerted to what was going to happen. So, um, so I had that in my head, you know, 15 was not ready for any type of dating even right. and lost my virginity and then was being called a whore and kind of stepped into that uh, in some ways and took control over it. Um, you know, also, I think the 80s, the late 80s, early 90s was the time that, um, you know, if you look at the music, even, you know, I, I love hair bands, but all those songs are about getting laid and the woman is a you know a toy i mean they're submissive they're a backup singer there which is uh, which i've always found odd because most of the men in those hair bands dressed and looked they like women way more feminine right? at the time yeah. so i don't really you know, know how rap, all that works rap gets a, a really a bad rap so to speak mm, sure. uh you know because of that but rock is just as as degrading well and you know even like rappers at that time it was a lot more uh you know, introspective, intellectual than it is now. You know, you had Run DMC, was, Mop Deep. It was more on they their, were poets. their lifestyles. Love it. I don't, I don't yeah. want to go on a tangent. We got anyway. limited time here. Yeah, go ahead. So anyway, so I had, had come off of, you know, being, being raped at 15. Um, my mother has weird uh, sexual and, and personal boundaries because of abuse in her life. Mm -hmm. And so I think some of what I had learned from my same sex parent and sexuality was a little skewed, you know, because of that. And just a, a, lot. a lack of supervision <laughs> also. So I was kind of primed for a predator to come along. Um, but I, again, I, I was very smart, uh, very naive, but, but very smart. So it was going to have to be a predator that would take their time and really groom, uh, groom me. And I never thought that I would succumb to that. And in fact, I didn't even realize that this whole relationship was what it was until really reflecting on it um, kind of recently. Because when you're in the midst of it, you just don't get it. You don't see it from all the angles. And some of it is kind of unbelievable. My parents were very complicit in this relationship and helped with the grooming, uh, to some extent, mm. you know, I wasn't driving. They dropped me off there. Why, why are you dropping off your 15, 16 year old daughter at an auto body shop with an older man all day? What is the point of that? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And then, and did it repeatedly. And it was always like, Oh, get to know Walter and see what you can do about a car. Like, see what you can do. See, like, see if there's work. You, you know, maybe you guys can work something out, see what he has for you. And so the deal was with this guy, Walter, he's dead, so I can mm -hmm. use his real name. Uh, he was my father's friend and client. My father was an attorney. And so my, my father would take care of all of the guys that worked at the shop because 90% of them were on parole. It was you know, sure. partially a, a chop shop and he had a towing company and all sorts of things going on legal and otherwise. 
Um, and so it was interesting to me. Mm. And Walter was a puppet master. He loved to get people riled up. He loved to put wedges between people. Um, he just really, he got a, a kick out of pulling people's strings. And so I kind of liked that, you know, and we you were, always had a car. We were in a, a small town. There wasn't a lot going on. I didn't even know what else was out there in the world. And so I started spending time at this shop with this man and he really did start not just grooming me with money and alcohol and jewelry. Um, but really getting into my head with telling me things about my parents and how they felt about me, which wasn't good, mm -hmm. <laughs> and how they treated me, which wasn't good. Um, and, you know, this is at a time, you know, I think it started when I was 15 and my mother and I already had issues. We, I have a difficult personality. We're not a lot alike. I had an older sister that had kind of uh, poisoned me against my mother for a certain extent um, because she was the stepdaughter of, of my mother. And so again, it, it's, you know, a, a thousand cuts. It, it's the yeah. culmination of things. So, and I think I just, you know, just like the rape episode, I was not, I was not alert and on guard because that was my hometown. Those were kids I grew up with. Mm. It was a party with people I knew. It was just a continuation of the norm for me. And I didn't know that I had to be alert. And so with Walter in being groomed, because my parents were part of it and pushed me into it, I didn't know I had to be alert. I, I didn't know I wasn't protected. Why would you not trust that right. situation? So, um, you know, and I think that is why it really got to the point that it did. I don't think had I just gone in to get my car repaired and this man started talking to me, he would have had an opportunity to get that far into my head sure. and into my life. But it was very much psychological, uh, as all grooming is, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just the gifts. And so, so yeah, so I had a car, um, title was never in my name. You know, that is something that, um, you know, I, I often think about too, what was I trading my soul for? nothing. I, you know, I got, I got nothing out of this. And apparently my parents were not great at negotiating a deal either because they didn't get anything or the a title out of the car and they got their cars from him. Uh -huh. And so there was also this kind of, I don't know if it was responsibility, but it was an understanding for sure that this, this is, is where the symbiotic. This, this is where the family's yeah. cars come from. Right. And you know, we're, we're nice to this man. Uh, you know, he's the client and he gives us money and, and whatever. Um, so in the state of Missouri, so this continued for a year and a half, let's say whatever it was. And in the state of Missouri at that point, the age of consent was 17. Mm -hmm. So on my 17th birthday, he requested that I come up to the shop and he had a conversation with me which was basically, you know, you know that I am interested in you and like now we can be together and like basically that's my expectation. And I believe it was shortly after that um, he made a doctor's appointment at a urologist because of certain medical issues. He was completely impotent, which is probably another psychological reason of why he wanted to go out and conquer everyone. Um, 
because I wasn't the only one either. I mean, it wasn't just no, me. He was well known around town. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so he made this appointment and to go to the urologist and get the shot and all this shit. And, and I had to go with him. And I remember sitting in that Lovely. office. Yeah, sitting in that office, 17. Um, and thinking like, this is it. This is this is go time. This is when you make the decision. What are you going to do? And I decided to go through with whatever it is he expected from me because I, again, didn't feel like my family expected that, but also didn't didn't feel like my family gave a shit either. I mean, right. they just weren't involved. And I felt like I was on my own to have anything, to do anything, to be anything um, and I, I did have a difficult relationship with both of my parents. And here was this man that was just absolutely preying on that. You know, I needed attention. Yeah. I needed praise. He, he told me that I was more and deserved more than my parents thought. And I really needed that. You know, I've, I've talked to my sister since then, and she has the same conflicted feelings. You know, when we think back on Walter, it's not all with hatred, um, because he was helpful and he was loving yeah, to no, a certain he certainly extent. Served a purpose and yeah, treated you better. Uh, maybe you know, for his own reasons. But yeah, you know, and I obviously, as a child, never had any issues with this guy. You know, he would give me money to go to the vending machine, ask me how school was going, then I'd hang out in the parking lot for you know, however long. He was just an old man who would give me quarters. Like I yeah. didn't, you know, and the fact that care. he was. <clears throat> you know, impotent and required some type of intervention to even try to have any type of sexual relations. It, it made it easier. It mm -hmm. also made it more difficult. I mean, I'm 17. I don't know what's what and what, you know, how to deal with certain situations. Right. Um, but it, it gave me, I guess, more wiggle room, so to speak. I could get out of things much, much more easily than had he just been a, a healthy man that was able to, you know, go and, and do whatever, whenever mm -hmm. it all kind of had to be planned. And, uh, and it was just an awkward thing. And, and he did, um, you know, I think he did have, or at least he thought he did have feelings for me. It wasn't all just, you know, conquering. Uh, I got pregnant at 18 mm -hmm. and, you know, throughout all this time, I'm still dealing with Walter um, and I remember after I gave birth to Kelsey, who was adopted at birth, that's episode six, he sent me flowers. I think it was the first time I ever got roses. He sent me flowers and the, the card said, watch your step next time, which apparently <laughs> I didn't listen to because you're sitting right here. That's funny. <laughs> but it was funny. <clears throat> and, you know, I would go and sit at the shop while I was pregnant and talk to him. I mean, I was driving the car that he owned. And when the car needed to be repaired, which was quite frequently, I, I had to take it in there. Yeah, I mean, well, like I said, in my experience with the man lived a few years later, he wasn't unpleasant to be around uh, for a short period of time. You know, I learned later that he was a violent sociopath, mm -hmm. um, but I did not see any of that yeah. at the time. So <clears throat> after I gave birth and Kelsey was adopted, I was living in my parents' house and her birth father was also living there. He, um, mm -hmm. I was going to college and I think he was taking a class or two. He was having some relationship with some other woman and, and doing it in my car. I found out that he was screwing this girl in my car and I wanted him out of the house. 
And this was, you know, a few months, I think, after after Kelsey was born and after the adoption and maybe two months. And my parents said, no, you know, we invited him to live here. We're not throwing him out. And if you don't like that, you could leave. So I said, okay, then. And I went back to Walter Mm -hmm. and I said, I have to get out. And he got me an apartment. So this set up, of course, this whole life that I have had of making panic decisions to get into certain houses and getting um, away from situations with men or getting away from situations, including men. It's just all reactionary. So I got this apartment um, and then I got a boob job. You know, I, I had had Kelsey and boobs don't look the same after you get pregnant and then you're not pregnant. And so I had convinced him that I did not want to be naked in front of him without a boob job. And, uh, because at this point I absolutely knew I was being manipulated for anything he could get out of me. So it became a game. Make lemonade. It became a game of who could get more. You know, I found out that he was illiterate. I I figured out that he couldn't read. Brilliant man. Kept his whole business in his head. Yeah, that is impressive. So, you know, I would say, oh, I left you a note on your desk. (laughs) Did you get that? Yeah, of course I stopped by. Left note. You didn't see that? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is 20, 20 years old. Yeah. So I'm living in this apartment. I get a boob job. Um, and just as soon as they heal, man, I, I left town. I, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I mean, I just, I knew that, um, that was not for me. I didn't know how to get out of it. It was, you know, I'm stuck in this town. Um, so I went to, to Texas, Mm -hmm. found my next victim, got, got married Um, then I started working and then he left and, uh, started working in clubs, got pregnant with you, moved to Chicago, then moved back to Kansas city. So moved to Kansas city with you when you're a year old, left with nothing. We left a a beautiful, beautiful home, uh, in Mount prospect, Mm -hmm. uh, left with nothing, but a couple bags and, you know, your diaper bag and whatever. So I I needed a car when I moved back. I used my mother's car for a year or six months, whatever it was when we first moved back. And so I needed a car, bought a car from an auction, completely died. Walter (laughs) found out about it and called me and said, you know, if you need a car, you let me know, don't waste your money Mm -hmm. going to someone else. He said, I will get you a car. And it started all over again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there were these times of just getting away from him and then coming back. And some of it was financial and and some of it wasn't. You know, there was this warped emotional, I need support. He's giving me support. He's giving me attention, whatever it was. If you have no other option, then... I mean, yeah, or at least think or convinced you don't, then yeah, that's, you know, understandable. Well, and also you have to consider I was dating other boys during this time. So, you know, Mm. what, what kind of boyfriend is going to put up with the weird old guy that has some connection to your car that you don't really understand that, you know, it was all a little shady and affected every relationship that I had sure. because a normal person is not going to accept that. And for me, it was like a bonus, you know, it was the safety net. Really. I, that's how I thought of him more than anything. It was my safety net. It's what other people would have considered their parents, I think, or, you know, home. But for me, that was Walter. If everything went to shit, I knew I could call him and he would bail me out. 
and had a couple of times through through bad decisions. Um, but he also was a little twisted and he was very possessive and he uh, would follow me or have me followed. He tapped the phone and would tell me about conversations that I had. He got very angry one time that I invited a man over to the house and finally realized that it was my brother who worked for him, you know, and then that was another thing. So my brother was in and out of prison. Couldn't yeah, really get a great him job. Tell stories about him too. And he worked <laughs> for him and lived in one of his properties. So, you know, me having a relationship ongoing with this man, mm-hmm. um, was kind of a weird way for me almost to take care of my family. Um, and then let's see. So when I was, I want to backtrack because speaking of the family, he went after my sister and my mother. He want, mm-hmm. wanted all three of us. I think he wanted everybody, actually. I don't even think it had anything to do with the three of us yeah, being no, in just... the same family. But I remember when my sister turned 17, again, legal age of consent in the state of Missouri, he made the same proposal to her, word for word, that he made to me about what physically he wanted to do to us. Mm-hmm. And um, she had told my parents and they didn't, I thought they didn't believe her. I I think now they didn't give a shit. I think, you know, because it then mm. then I I thought that my relationship with Walter was my decision, my fault, my power. I really didn't know how it all happened, how I got sucked into it and why I was normalizing it. Right. And so, you know, when they acted kind of eh, like, you know, dismissive about him saying this to my younger sister which I knew absolutely he had said this. And I said to them, I know that she's telling the truth. He said the same thing to me word for word. And at that point they said, well, you know, all right, we'll make sure that we get you a car. And to her, didn't say shit to me. Mm -hmm. Didn't say, oh, what? (laughs) He's, he's said these things or, well, you know, tell us more or, I mean, And looking back, you know, my feelings were hurt because, of course, I felt like they protected her more. But I always in my head had the fact that they told me that I was smarter and more capable and I could be alone more. And I could, you know, like, oh, we didn't we didn't give you that much attention because you were more capable. Uh And so I had these things in my head of, well, maybe, you know, maybe I am in control of this relationship with Walter and they just assume that I'm in control. And, you know, so they're not looking at me being victimized, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I have to guess at this point because it's not a conversation that we've had. My father has passed. My mother and I have never had an honest conversation about Walter. Yeah, I don't think that's uh, possible. She did toast him when we were on the the princess cruising around. Again, very weird uh, relationship that we all had with this this gentleman. So, so my sister didn't want any part of it. Mm -hmm. She, you know, she wasn't raped at 15. She didn't have the same sexualized behavior that, that I had had. And she was like, that's fucking gross. And, you know, no, and unforgivable and absolutely not. And so she was taken out of that loop, but there was still, Walter was still peripheral and Mm. she did still benefit in certain ways. And she did benefit, um, from the grooming that happened And still has that psychologically where, you know, like I said, when she and I talk about him, it is about the mixed feelings Mm -hmm. about how complicated that really is. And even thinking back to like my friends in high school, you know, so it wasn't just the boys that I dated. My friends in high school knew something was going on. Didn't know what it was. Didn't. I mean, you know, I wonder why nobody asked me to prom and I had to take my gay manager as my date. 
maybe because I got the 60 year old auto body guy or whoever old he was, you know, in, in the background, uh, being creepy. I don't know. It was my norm at the time. I really, I, I just didn't know. So, um, so he helped me out. Uh, he helped me out with the, the Kenwood house. We, you know, moved from, um, my parents' house into my own house and Mm -hmm. he, you know, helped me put new carpet in and like, it was his carpet guy that, that came. I didn't know. Small the world. And so, well, he called him and I was still driving one of his cars then, although he was controlling me through that. I would come sure. out of your school and the car wouldn't be there. <laughs> he, he would have had it towed because he owned tow trucks and he would be he standing got pissed there. off or no, he, I didn't answer his call maybe. And yeah. so, yeah, he would be standing there and I would be forced to ride with him because I didn't have a car. Mm-hmm. He'd had my car towed away. And since it wasn't in my name, he had every right <laughs> to do it. Could do. He would slash the tires on his own car to piss me off or immobilize me. Uh, I mean, it was just insane. I remember, Go ahead. I remember sneaking out of the windows of my own house at the back of the house and scaling the, the fence in the backyard and going through yards and having my boyfriend pick me up because I knew Walter was having me watched mm-hmm. and I didn't want to cut into my money and, you know, hear the bullshit that I might be seeing somebody my own age and having a decent social life. Yeah. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit. Um, so he was there uh a lot different degrees you know different degrees and so then we moved to um to olathe and i had one of his cars i think at one point i had three cars out outside of our apartment none of them had a clear title (laughs) i don't know if they were stolen or whatever because he would also let me drive other cars if Mm -hmm. somebody would bring a car in to be repaired and i really liked it he would say that the repairs were going to take a while and I'd drive it around for the weekend. I remember a lot of Cadillacs. Well, the Cadillacs were not his. No, no. Okay. I'm talking about when I was young, like ah, when I was, right. you know, okay. 17, 18. He did that. Okay. Not, not older. No. So once I got older, I started to, of Make course, more try to cut the strings. Right. <laughs> I, you know, and my mother had started seeing him. When I say started. I don't know if that had been an ongoing thing probably with them for years or not. Um, but during a point of time that I was not really speaking to her, I think, or my father, um, she had been seeing Walter and, Mm -hmm. you know, had, I think even stayed at his house. Now my parents were still married, but she had been seeing Walter and stayed at his house, I think during the week and then came home on the weekend. And, um, and again, that's something between my parents, I don't know what their arrangement was. I don't care. I don't think they had a traditional relationship. So it's not the fact that she was with someone else. My father knew she wasn't there. You know, mm-hmm. not my business to get involved in in that part is what I'm saying. I understand that that's not the way that most people think it should be. Yeah, but, but- that they were adults. They did things the way that they wanted to do, and that's not the part that I'm you know really highlighting here. Sure, I'm just saying that he manipulated her she was mm-hmm. you know in a marriage that was not emotionally fulfilling and um had these other you know sexual abuse history and uh and so she was easy prey as well and so of course that caused an issue because he's the puppet master and he would say things to create division between my mother and me and my sister and me and it uh, worked and my <clears throat> sister and my mother yes and it did work and so my 
my formative years were not only formed in part by this inappropriate relationship, but I had an even more distant relationship with my mother because of it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, a lot of complications go in there. So as, as I got older and I started to pull away more and my mother had spent more time with him. So now she's kind of seeing him full time. I'm hanging out with him during the day every once in a while, or I talk to him, but she's the girlfriend role. Well, he, he had cancer and, uh, had one of his lungs removed and lived for a while, but then he had an issue, I believe with his kidneys and he was in the hospital right around the corner, uh, from our old house with Lily. And I went to visit him. I knew that my mother had left. I think I called the nurse because my mother was there most of the time next Mm -hmm. to him. And so I think my mother had left. And so I called the nurse and I went in to see him and he, he was out of it. He didn't know that I was there. He was asleep the whole time. And I don't know why I went to visit him. I really don't. But he died like an hour after that, after I left. So I was the last person to be with him. And it is just so weird to me to think we, we had distanced. Mm -hmm. He didn't ask me to come see him. Right. You know, and nobody else had asked me to come see him. I knew I wasn't welcome there with my mother was there. And I just think there was some internal thing in me that felt like I needed to say goodbye or I, and I, but I didn't, I didn't know he was dying. Mm -hmm. I really, I just thought he was in the hospital and he would be out. I mean, this was a thing, you know, he was an older man. man. Yeah. But so I was there and, um, you know, I I think I told him he looked like shit or (laughs) whatever I would have said to him. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, the last thing I said was, all right, see you later, old man. And then I got a call that, he had had died. Um, and then the last part of the story, we'll wrap it up with something funny because I know that's how you'll like it. Uh, and it is a deep story. I mean, yeah, it, it really is like deeper I can, than I expected. I can tell it pretty easily because it's it's so long ago and it was so normalized for me at the time. But with reflection, I realized, like I said, how fucked up it really was and how much of an influence that had on me and my development and my relationships and sexuality and, and all of that. Um, so Walter passed away and I went to the funeral and was asked to leave (laughs) by his family, his wife. He was also married this whole time, but his wife had moved her, her daughter passed away from an asthma attack. She had a cardiac arrest, passed away very, very young. She had two small boys that she left behind. The biological father was a complete loser. Mm -hmm. And so his wife, Walter's wife, Arlene, took the kids, moved to Florida, similar to you and I, when Uh we absconded to Florida, uh, my father was their attorney and she won custody of those kids and stayed in Florida with them. So, um, so she came back up for the funeral and asked the, I think the office manager who was real nice about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, she knew who I was and she's like, Shannon, I'm really sorry, but the family doesn't want you here. And I, you know, think I was kind of expecting that. Yeah, okay. And Walter would have loved it. I mean, he really would have. So if he was looking, he, I'm sure, was tickled by the fact that I was there and thrown out. Um, so that was kind of a, a, a fitting end, I guess, to our inappropriate relationship to have an inappropriate funeral and, and throwing me out. So I know you don't remember a lot about Walter, but after telling that story, too and you've heard most of that but, yeah but you can see how much something like that affects you sure 
Yeah. I mean, like I said, all I remember was, you know, an office that smelled like coffee and uh, a lot of cars going in and out. And, you know, he would ask how I was doing and, and give me money to go get soda or pop, as they say, back in the Midwest. Yeah. And uh, that was about it. Yeah. You know, I didn't really have a lot of, of a lot of deep connection with him. He was an old man who ran the body shop. That was all I knew at the time. Well, and I often wonder too, you know, I have this whole opinion of um, the belief system really of yin and yang of good and bad simultaneously. And that is how I feel about Walter. Mm. I, you know, I hate him. I hate him for preying on me and fucking me up and making me do things that, you know, certainly didn't make me feel uh, dignified and valued. Um, but I also really loved him in a certain way. And he had my back when no one else did. And, and that is just absolutely the most confusing thing, but that's the point. That's, that's life. That's life. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, if you want me to tell this story about Walter and how awful he was and how you need to protect your kids and, you know, of course, yes, all of that is true, but this is my story. And in my story, I told the truth. And the truth is, you know, sometimes I miss him. And my mother and I did toast to him when we were on that boat. And um, it will always, I think, make me resent my parents a little bit for that because they knew and I didn't. Uh, and they had their own issues, you know, of course. But that's just not something that you can, I think, no. get over. Um, so it, it did cause a wedge for many, many reasons. So it wasn't just my relationship with men. It really was my relationship with my parents and my whole foundation and having a home and a, and a safe place to go to. It really, really rocked my world. So that was it. That's my story. It's my story about Walter. And there you have it. May Thank he rest in peace. Well, I don't know. He could, or, he could know, be a little uncomfortable from time uh, to time. Rest I, in, I would in, be all right with that intention or, you know, something. It, you I know, know. I, he also, he left home at 14. He was horribly abused. Um, you you tell by looking at him, he had a hard life. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, not that that made anything okay, but everybody has a story and we're all just trying to do better and we're all dealing with our bullshit the best we can. So thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you're dealing with your bullshit in the best way that you possibly can. Peace and love. And, uh, I don't even know. Don't don't trust. <laughs> There's not a lot to say. Don't right trust now. a creepy old man who runs a body shop. Please make sure to download and listen to SOB on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share on social media. This has been a Studio 239 production.